Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and producer. Joining me this week as always, or mostly always, Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari, and LSJ sports columnist, Graham Couch. We are recording on uh, Wednesday afternoon here. It's a little after 1 o'clock, 35 minutes after we were originally scheduled to record, but that's because we had a little bit of breaking news uh, with the commitment of a uh, former Penn State commit by the name of Ken Talley, and we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But first, uh, let me get everybody in here. Uh, Graham, how are you doing today? I'm well. I feel good. Um, yeah, you know, it's been a weird time, a little bit of COVID, uh, uh, quarantine in the beginning of football season, which is not ideal, but you know what? Better now than, than later, I guess. So I'll take it. That is, uh, that is some incredible spin zone, but we, uh, also hope that you are feeling better ultimately. Yeah, no, I feel I'm a, I'm a hundred percent and, uh, I've been, I've been tested negative and I haven't had a symptom in several days, so I'm, I'm good. So you're on track, you're on track for Saturday. I'm on track for Saturday. Yep, as long as there's nothing, uh, not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on track. So, would you say probable or questionable? Oh, I put, I put beyond probable. Like uh, they don't even have what I am. I'm, I'm more than likely <laughs> mid-season form. I love it. Chris, how are you doing? You know, it's uh, football season. It's uh, great to have it back. By the way, um, you know, you, you forget how much you miss football until you get a Friday game and you're able to watch games on. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I mean, that really, I like how the Labor Day weekend has kind of shaped into a real kickoff, even though you had a couple games uh, in week zero. Week one is, it, it's fascinating and compelling to kind of be able to see as many games as you can early on because we can't necessarily watch a lot of those in during the season when we're covering games. So it was it was great, and it kind of wet the appetite quite a bit and, and getting the Friday game in, uh, great crowd, great environment um okay football <laughs> i think that just sums up college football in general for the most part okay football like, yeah all of the best games this weekend were like games not featuring the top 25 teams you know like carolina and app state or you know games like that and uh lsu <laughs> lsu is a fuller state is a bit of a it was a top 25 game but a pretty wild weekend. yeah between that bad between, football between that game and the purdue game there were so many bad coaching decisions that you could tell the coaches are still kind of shaking off the rust a little bit too Exactly. Well, we are uh, we're about five days removed from Michigan State's uh, season opening win over Western Michigan, so we won't uh, necessarily do a complete uh, breakdown of that game. But obviously, we will kind of react to some of the news that's happened in that game or since then. And I think we should obviously start with, even though this is a couple days old at this point, uh, we've got to start with Darius Snow. He was a you know a player who was expected to be a major part of the Michigan State defense, if not the focal point, having moved from safety to linebacker. He was featured in a lot of the preseason material, including the uh, pregame uh, the uh, the pregame video uh, to promote the season. And then uh, he gets hurt in the game, 
with a leg injury, and now he is out for a year. That is obviously a, a devastating blow to a team that, uh, boy, could not stop getting injured last year, and we already have that injury and the Xavier Henderson Henderson injury as well. So, uh, Graham, uh, what what is going on with this with this team? Well, I mean, injuries happen, and it, it's a couple injuries with, with with Henderson and Snow that could be problematic. We'll, we'll test their depth. I think, you know, you, obviously you're going to have some of those things throughout the course of a year. To have them both in week one, though, is good and bad in the sense that it, it sends you down a road of testing your depth early. And now what's your depth on your depth and all that stuff as the season goes along? The flip side of that is you essentially, and we'll see where Henderson's injury is in terms of the, the you know, whether he's misses the year or how long or whatnot, but you essentially get to do the year without them as if you never had them in certain ways. And the schedule's playing an Akron team that's not going to challenge you, um, I, I think is is beneficial in the sense that you at least get a chance knowing they're not part of your rotations. Um, and other guys are going to see probably the field for the first time a little more uh, that are behind your backups. And so, I, you know, well, this is the test of depth, right? And and I think, you know, the, the big challenge is those are two real heady players. And, you know, they probably have enough pound-for-pound physical talent, especially at linebacker. But I, I uh, getting people in the right places, being in the right places is a lot of college football. Yeah, Graham summed it up quite a bit, I think. Um, I, I think that, you know, and I said this before the season that I thought, uh, Darius Snow could be kind of the linchpin to what Scotty Hazelden wants that defense to be because he's a good, I mean, he's a really good downhill tackler, he's great covering in space. We saw a lot of those things when he was healthy uh, in that game on Friday. Um, and now I don't necessarily know if they have a player that can replace him in that respect. Um, it, it, it's going to be interesting to kind of keep a watch. And I'm talking to Chester Kimbrough the other day. He thought maybe a guy like Caleb Coley could slide up. Uh, freshman defensive back who's kind of been working as the number two nickel back. Um, that could be uh, something to, to keep an eye on because they want to get that speed in space in the middle of defense. But I also thought Ben Van Summeren played a fantastic game uh, against Western Michigan. Um, you know, so that's something that bears watching. I mean, imagine where this defense would be right now had Van Summeren and Ma Naoteote not come back out of the portal, um, they would have been in a very big bind. Um, they obviously got an option with Jacoby Winman, but, boy, he looks really good coming off the edge at defensive end. So I'm not necessarily sure how how that will work out. So it's, it's, it's an option for them. I don't know if it's going to be viable because they like what he did in the pass rush. Uh, and, I mean, as he should, he's a national player of the week because of it. So, But the snow interest is is pretty brutal and then the Henderson injury I'm not sure because I watched it back and there was no contact he was well away from the play and then he tapped out so you know it it seems like it's headed to be a multi-week thing um maybe longer um but you know with Mel Tucker playing injuries so close to the vest and not just that I mean there were injured guys injured coming into the game like Deshaun Mallory and uh Jalen Hunt didn't dress um, which allowed Alex Van Summer to play some at defensive tackle and a lot more Derek Harmon. Um, but he didn't, you know, those, those injuries affect the depth as well. So, but linebacker in particular is the one area I think where it's going to be really tough to, to replace a kid like that. And you hate to see it, especially with a friendly fire kind of thing with a, with Kimbrough hitting him in the leg with the helmet. 
Uh, who do you think, will, will, if you had to guess, who will be the two linebackers uh, on the first snap Saturday? That's a good question. I think right now, if if I were to look at it, I would probably say Van Summeren and maybe Aaron Brule, just because Brule kind of gives a little bit more in terms of downhill ability, but you obviously have Cal Halliday as an option. I mean, those guys all rotated in with snow at the linebacker spot. So my guess, I would say they want to give Brule a little more work. Uh, He looked good in coverage during the spring, which I think is critical, but you know, like Graham said, this game in particular, um, I don't know how much you want to show before going out to to Washington because Akron's just not a good team. Um, and you could probably get things done early with your starters and kind of give them the rest that they may need going into a game like that on the road. You, one of you might have said this already, I missed it, but who do we think the, the Henderson replacement will be for, for the time being? Well, that's a good question too. I mean, you know, because uh, Kendall Brooks came into the game for him, but then got dinged up and was in and out in the second half and Jaden Mangum played a lot and I thought Angelo Gross got dinged up a little bit and was in and out um but I I think if healthy it's probably Kendall Brooks but Mangum uh, clearly is a guy that that they need to get ready quickly um because he's more than likely now depending on how long this Henderson is going to need to be playing at least uh number two snaps yeah I I think Mangum is going to play a a big part in this season all of a sudden and um, you, you know that's that's going to be interesting to watch, and and I mean they you know they like him when 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 you know one of the things Mel Tucker talked about late in camp is you know you have a feel for guys who are ready, and then you have a plan for those who aren't. It, it was clear that they thought he was ready, so but I don't think they were hoping he'd be in quite this role. But um, and, and, and Brooks was, you know, I thought he looked pretty good at the times. That you know obviously he had the forced fumble, and and um, it, it's such a important position and for a couple reasons one it's your safety valve it's not just the safety but it's it's what you know it's your last line of defense in a lot of ways and then it also if it's somebody you can come up and and, and make plays in the running game and, and and really as a you know it's a position where if you're if you're caught overthinking um can really be detrimental the flip side of that is you you, you got to be, you got to think, you know, like it's got to be second nature. And that's where losing a veteran, I think, is, is, um, is potentially problematic down, down the road. But again, this is why the pass rush, I think, was promising. Now we'll have to see them do that against quality competition and beyond Western Michigan, who, who may be a pretty good team. But I, I, that that can really save your your back end if all of a sudden what you are as a pass rushing team is fairly formidable, um, you know, and timely and and all that stuff. That you know, because I I think last year while they produced a lot of sacks and they produced some timely sacks which which helped them get off to that eight and zero start, they were not great off the edge uh, consistently like they were on uh, on Friday night. This is something I'm I'm going to come back to the the edge rushers here in a second, but I don't know if as a host of a Michigan State sports podcast, I should admit this, but uh, I don't think I'd ever heard of Kendall Brooks until the game on Friday. Is that bad on my part, or am I – I can't be the only one, right? Well, you apparently didn't read my story on him last year then. <laughs> I mean, a, lot, a, lot, a, lot's hot, a lot's happened in the last 12 months, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. So he was a guy who transferred in from Division Two North Greenville, kind of an off-the-radar kid. Um, in a lot of ways, they didn't play football in 2020. He came in in 2021 as I think an early enrollee um, during that 
spring and you know that they were really thin on depth in the defensive backfield then and he kind of played more of a special teams role last year and showed some toughness there and was on a couple of different units um got some late season snaps but it's a fascinating story to go from division two and, and trust your, yourself and, and really, you know, give the coaches credit for identifying him on film and bringing him in um, to, to believe that he could be not just a contributor, uh, but a guy that could end up in the depth chart and now maybe even a starter. Yeah, no, definitely uh, pretty impressive. And, and I, like you said, a nice pickup uh, by the coaches. Uh, Grant, going back to your, your pass rushing thing, man, it was just hard not to be impressed by what Woodman did. I don't care if it was Western Michigan, man, that, that, uh, that pass rush got after him, uh, after Western Michigan quite a bit. And it's hard not to maybe seem like Brandon Jordan might be, uh, onto something here or the hire of Brandon Jordan might, might be onto something here after a game. Well, yeah. I mean, the one thing Mel Tucker said is, you, you know, you are what you emphasize a little bit, right. And and that's clearly been an emphasis and, and I think it goes beyond Jordan, but it, it's, it's, um, I, yeah, I Bogle, another transfer, the Florida kid, look, you know, had had flash in the first yep. half, had a couple of really good moments there. And just having more guys, you know, uh, Brule had a spin move. I think um, that is, if that's something that they have, and I don't know that we'll know it to, 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 to I don't know that we'll know to what degree they really have that for a couple of weeks still. Um, but it changes their defense and it, it changes their secondary and it changes their season because I think offensively they have enough and some guys who are really promising playmakers, maybe not all yet in their prime yet, maybe some of them are a little young, but guys that can beat you suddenly and to, they have enough there to bother everybody they're going to play in the Big Ten, including Ohio State. They have enough to challenge. I think Michigan State has more threats offensively than Notre Dame does, um, and, and and you know, and so that'll be more. You know, they'll have a chance against everybody there. The question is on defense: Do they have playmakers and difference makers? And if they do, happens to be, I think their defensive lines can be pretty good. I think the one thing I would counter with that though is the time of possession in that Western Michigan game was a little bit alarming. Not so much when you realize how quick strike they were a year ago and some of the, the you know, one play, two, three play drives that they had. Um, but when your depth is tested on the depth on, on the defensive side, you really want to establish more of a run game to kind of give them a little more of a breather now. Um, that was something that I think maybe was missing for three quarters uh, in that game against the, the Broncos. And, you know, as the, the you know, I, I think the next two defenses should allow them to, to be able to move a little better on the ground because um, I don't think Washington's defense is all that good. Um, but, you know, it's clear that they're going more pass to run right now than run to pass. Um, so it needs to kind of get up a little bit with that. But if you're right about the pass rush, um, I, I do think that you saw a lot of things from a lot of different guys, um, you know, collapsing the pocket. I mean, you know, whether it be Simeon Barrow or Derek Harmon and Slade in the middle, all those guys were able to get decent push in the middle. Um, and then you saw what the edge guys were able to do. And I think Brandon Jordan, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, I'm going to write about this later this week, but, you know, he, two of those guys that you mentioned, you know, four sacks from Winman and one from Brule, he's been working with those guys since they were in high school. They're all from New Orleans. And, you know, that is a tremendous benefit that, that, you know, 
I don't know if it was intentional or it just happened that way. And talking to those guys that they all ended up here at, at the same point at Michigan State. And I think that ends up being a big boost for, for that pass rush. Just that relationship alone and allows those not just Brandon Jordan, but those other guys to kind of teach the techniques he's been teaching them for five, six years. Yeah, well, we're interested to see how that carries going forward. Uh, well, let's uh, look forward to Akron a little bit, uh, but also sort of by looking back at the game. Uh, the Michigan State offense was very spurty in that uh, Western Michigan game. Uh, 21 quick points there in the first half and then uh, during a stretch in the first half, and then nothing until, until the fourth quarter with two late touchdowns to kind of pretty things up a little bit. Uh, is there a concern level offensively, Graham? Although I'm guessing no, because you just said you thought they had more pieces offensively than Notre Dame. So, I mean, what, what do you feel about the offense and their performance? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, yeah, yes. I mean, I do feel they showed a lot of promise in certain realms, right? I mean, when you have four touchdowns by four different receivers, right? Uh, all that stuff is, is um, significant. There is, I mean, and, and so they're going to be able to hit you when they can't sustain a drive, when a, you know they're not going to need to sustain drives to score. And they had a lot of that last year at their peak when they were when they were healthy with Kenneth Walker, Naylor, and Reed. Right, they had that that big quick strike ability as well. Peyton Thorne's got to show that he can be consistent too. I mean, that's a step he's got to make. He's got to make the the underneath throws. He's got to not sail those throws. He's got to not make that. You know, it, it you can't have that interception he had against better teams. And I think he'll get that out of his system a little bit. Um, and so there are things you do wonder how they'll be able to, how effective they'll be up front against is the competition stiffens. We're not going to find that out this week either. So there are things still to wonder about their ability to sustain drives and not just be quick strike. It's great to be a quick strike offense, but it, it's a hard season if you can't also sustain drives and, and run the ball on people. And it's a hard on your defense too. I mean, I think one of the things that Michigan State's defense really needs from its offense is the ability to, you know, be on the field for a bit. <laughs> so uh, those are things we don't know yet. There's There, there are things that I'm, I mean, I, I was, I think more than some people, um, I found the offensive performance promising um, because I think if, if you move the ball on sustained drives against Western Michigan, but you don't show quick, big strike ability, that's, you know, concerning. Um, whereas if you show the big strike ability and they moved it, to some degree, running the ball effectively at times and things. I I don't think there was anything there that was alarming. I just think we just don't know yet. Yeah, I think the uh, the fourteen of twenty eight fifty percent completion percentage certainly raises an eyebrow. But then you see the four long touchdown passes. Like, all right, well, which one which one are we going to get uh, more consistently throughout the uh, rest of the season? Yeah, you know, I do think it does depend on that offensive line, though. I mean, one thing that to keep in mind is that was a pretty veteran. Western Michigan defense that they faced with a lot of returning pieces. So that I think bodes a little better than, than maybe some of the performance and numbers show, because I mean, they gave up one sack, which I think was good. And it wasn't like Thorne was pressured much. Um, so I, I think that, that they were able to, and I know Mel Tucker talked about just not being able to wear them down. Um, I think some of that credit goes to Western Michigan. Tim Lester does a good job there. And, you know, Graham knows that better than anybody, how good Western Michigan can be at times. Because um, a lot of them, I mean, listen, Western Michigan puts guys in the league. That tells you there's talent there. These guys knew that, too. So, to me, that was a great – that was a much better test, I think, than they're going to get next week. And maybe even, you know, like I said, from Washington's defense 
you know, it, it, it may have, it, Washington's defense might be comparable to, to Western in some ways, um, you know, but you still got to go to the West Coast in that game. You still got to, you know, adjust to the time and everything else. So um, certainly, though, um, I thought there were good things to watch outside of, you know, the inconsistency with Thorne, but the body of work of his career shows me that he's going to be fine. Phil, Phil, I'll say this. Um, Western Michigan minus six and a half at your uh, ball State Cardinals this week. I like I like the Broncos. Yeah, pound that. Uh, Ball State, I think, is very bad. So <laughs> I, th- yeah. I think you're onto something there. The other thing that happens too, and, and so I think I think this game could look pretty good as the season goes along. Uh, you know, I, I, we'll see what Western is, but I think they'll be a pretty good competitive eight nine win type team and have a good year in the MAC. Um, you know, the the one thing that, that I would caution is you start to look at future results is. You know, and they play Pitt. That'll be a good litmus test in terms of transitive property a little bit. They play Pitt um, next week in Kalamazoo, so you get a better sense of things. And and that that game will be early enough before. Sometimes teams, you know, what they don't have in the MAC, even though they put guys in the pros, is Big Ten depth. And so as injuries pile up, sometimes late in the year, you see a team and you go, "That team's not very good." How was that game close against Michigan State? Well. More likely, the, the team you see in November, it's going to be like what happened with Michigan State last year, where they really lacked depth. You can see that a lot more in the MAC. So Michigan, so I, I would say the the best test is how you know we'll get a sense of what Western Michigan does against Pitt. Uh, of course, by then we'll also have a good sense of Michigan State because they play uh, Washington. Well, I think it also dovetails not just the depth between an uh, upper end MAC program and a Big Ten program. I think this week you're going to see the difference in depth between the upper end of the Mac and the bottom end of the Mac. I mean, this is a, a an Akron team that went three and 27 the last three seasons. That's why they made a coaching change and brought in Joe Moorhead. Um, and not just that they went three and 27, they were outscored uh, 1,157 to 467 in those 30 games over the last three years. That's insane. That's insane. I mean, they got outscored by, almost 700 points. So David, they, not, a I, I defense, give you, not a lot of offense, not a lot of depth. Joe Moorhead brought in, I think 40 transfers. It's a, it's a very much a Mel Tucker uh, blueprint that he's trying. But when you're doing that at the bottom of the Mac, you're not getting power, a lot of power five guys coming in there. And then you saw how it worked for them. They, they had to struggle to beat a middle of the pack football championship subdivision team in St. Francis at home. They only won by, seven in overtime and needed an interception and a touchdown in overtime to, to, to do that. So, I mean, this is, yeah. I think you're going to see a marked difference in opponents that you can't really necessarily be too focused on the results of what Michigan state does. I mean, you have to do what you have to do and, and put them away early, put up numbers, put up points, but you also have to kind of watch and see, okay, are they sustaining those drives? Like you said, are they able to really on defense, dominate not just not just win but dominate uh, and i think that you know, those are the things that you kind of have to be, be cognizant of this week the, my best akron football to sort of put akron football in perspective because it's been a while and, and and like a lot of mac schools they've made bad decisions they got rid of jd brookhart when he was i think a pretty good coach because you're impatient and things like that um that they, they had built their new stadium um which is a nice facility went down there to cover a game, I believe, in 2010 or 2011. I think it was 2010. And they're Western Michigan. 
Western Michigan beats them like 50 to 10. I mean, it's a blowout. It's not even, it's just not even competitive. And there are probably. Was this a Wednesday matching game? No, this is a Saturday, you know, Saturday afternoon game. Um, and at the end of the game, I'm filing, getting ready to file and, 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 and get out of there. And, and I look back and there's like a, you know, ah, a couple thousand people in the stands. And I look out the back of the press box and there's this field with like 4,000 people around it and lights and like, what the hell's going on over there? And it was the Akron soccer team ranked number one in the country uh, playing actually Western <laughs> Michigan. We probably should have gone over there to cover it with Caleb Porter, who's, you know, been the coach at out in Portland and now is, I believe it's uh, Columbus or, um, and, uh, and, and MLS anyway. And, uh, yeah, there were 4,000 people at the Akron soccer match in 2000 at the Akron football game. So that's where that was. I believe Akron does have a national title in uh, college soccer. And, uh, it might have been that year or the year before that. Yeah, it was right around and, there. Yeah, and they beat Michigan State uh, a couple days ago, 2 nothing. So there you go. <laughs> Full perfect tie-in to all that. So uh, I kind of want to continue on the offensive train here a little bit. And something we really haven't talked about is the receivers who – uh, all combined for four touchdowns in the win over Western. It was four different receivers, none of them Jaden Reed, uh, Coleman, German, Keon Coleman, Jeremy Bernard, and Trey Mosley, I believe all had long touchdown receptions. Uh, out of those three, did any of them stand out? Which one impressed you guys the most? And, you know, it looks like they might be, you know, the bigger contributor going forward. Well, to me, it was Coleman because, uh, you know, just watching just how they were rotating, it was Reed and Coleman as the one and two right now. And then Mosley saw to me, limited snaps for him. He played a, a good amount, but you know you expected him to play maybe a little bit more. But it also shows the trust and and belief they have in him to go to him late in that game on a, on a deep post to to seal it, um, which was a great route and and really a great probably the best throw of the day by Thorne. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those guys and Bernard didn't really see many snaps. I, I think the only other time that that Thorne targeted him was that one where he was where he threw the interception back across his body. Um, but the, the connection he had with, with Coleman to me was interesting because he understands his receiver's gifts. And, you know, the touchdown, he basically put up a 50-50 ball against a 5'10 defensive back and let the 6'4 kid just go up and get it, who's a basketball player, by the way. And then kind of there was a third, uh, it might have been a third down play uh, later in the game. I think it was on actually the, the long touchdown drive that, that Jalen Berger uh, ripped off the run a couple plays later for 50 yards, but he threw it just a, a jump ball down the sideline that Coleman went up and got over another shorter defensive back um, for 26 yards. So there definitely is an understanding and connection that he's got a weapon there. And I think they showed that, that they know how to maximize it. We'll see when the defensive backs get a little, little bigger, you know, six foot and above, um, and become a little bit more of a challenge. But that, to me, I think was, in watching that game, probably the most promising and new develop in the passing game over the course of the last year. Yeah, and we talk, we, we set the Keon Coleman touchdown line at uh, four and a half last week, and uh, he is now on pace for 12 or 13, depending on how many games the Spartans play this year. So so congrats to everybody who said the over. Yeah, and I, I really I really agree with Chris in this sense. Like Mosley, you know, you heard in practice that, that Coleman and, and Reed are the outside guys. Mosley, I guess, inside more. And and but the Coleman, like, I mean, he's one of the guys who looks the part. Like when you look at their offense and you go, okay, wow, these guys look like prototypical dudes, like NFL guys. Like these guys are a force. Like what you need is, and, and Daniel Barker has that look to him, right? He looks I mean, whether he'll be a good NFL tight end. I have no idea. 
idea. But what I mean is, he's a, physically just imposing. And Coleman has that. And then he has the swagger, and he seems to have a lot of other things going for him right now. And and so the, the, the question, is, what you really want is guys who it just doesn't matter who the opponent is. They can get theirs. Like, you go back in MSU history, it's, it's TJ Duckett. It's Charles Rogers. It's Plaxico Burress. These guys it really doesn't matter. You're playing Ohio State. You're playing Michigan. You're playing Bama. Doesn't matter. These guys are pros. They're going to get theirs. They're a problem. And so the question is, how many Michigan State guys do you have that are, are, are going to be that? And, and Coleman is a guy who looks like he's developing into that. He also looks like he's playing himself off Tom Izzo's basketball roster if he does continue to progress like this as a receiver because that's the kind of talent that, that goes oh, high. Question for you. Let, me, let me ask you this, Chris, because I, I do wonder that. Yeah, like So he's too young. I mean, because of the way the NFL draft is, you have to be three years out of high school. He cannot play this year, or he cannot go to the draft this year. Correct. So, in, in, like, obviously, if he's going to the NFL draft, he's not going to play in a basketball season. So he could play one more year, I would think, at least, of, of college hoops, and he loves it and all that stuff. I, I do wonder, though, at a certain point, if you feel like your career is on the verge, if 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 if, if, if hoops is what you want to do. My my sense is he does it, though. I, I my sense is he loves college basketball to the point that, and I I only say it because of this. My guess is he thinks that because he got a taste of it, because he understands the system, because he probably ran with him a little bit in the summer that if he comes in and busts his butt, now whether he's right on this, I don't know, he could carve out a role for himself. You know what I mean? And so like that, I bet that intrigues him. My guess is right now he thinks I'm playing basketball. That may change as things get closer. But that, that's my, that would be my hunch right now. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you on that because he's definitely a supremely confident kid in both of those areas and time management and physical management. He's talked a lot about the physical management that he needs to do to keep his body able to play both of those sports. But he's also talked about how he played baseball and ran track. So, I mean, this is something that not necessarily new to him. It's not new to anybody that that's that high of uh, an elite athlete. Most of them, many of them uh, have played multiple sports in co- in high school growing up. A little different with the demands at the college level. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, maybe, Maybe, uh, you know, because Mel Tucker obviously has a lot of NFL connections. Maybe someone, one of those scouts says you probably should dial back on it. Maybe that might be something that makes him think a little bit. But otherwise, I'd agree with you. I think that he believes that he can do both and stay healthy. And that's that's the ultimate key. It's not so much can you do it. It's can you do it and not get hurt. Um, That's, you know, where's your money to be made and, and don't affect that. And just to piggyback on what you guys are saying, Coleman uh, had a team-high nine targets in the game over Western, and no other receiver had more than three. So uh, I think that uh, feed, help kind of feeds into what we've been saying about Coleman's potential this year. And again, it, and again, I think that also speaks volumes to, to Peyton Thorne in knowing that he had a guy that was a complete matchup there against those smaller defensive backs and kept going to him. And it, all, it also speaks, though, to Coleman's ability to play basketball and not hurt his progression in football, which is something he may draw from again. Yeah. Like, here's a guy who last year was showed some real flashes late in the year, was raw coming in, and and they knew that, and 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 so, but now looks like a guy who's completely ready. And I mean, if if you're practicing in basketball and doing the conditioning and all that stuff, certainly you're not. Now you're not playing a lot, so you're not getting the up and down of of of. Uh, but if 
it's not like you have to losing the winter conditioning months of of, of college. Like I, if I were if I were Dion Coleman, I'd much rather be on the basketball court than running gassers. Um, I rather get <laughs> I I'd rather get my conditioning in a different way. I don't think you have to be Keon Coleman to do that. I think that's your general nature. That's that's true. That's true. It's my understanding that you can just outrun the entire Michigan State football team in anything, Graham. That's my. That's how I understand. That's not what I said. I said I could out, I could outrun Tottenham's midfield and, and yeah, soccer. It's you're, not, you're, that's wild. That's wild. All of that is wild. <laughs> well, I, I think I think this also begs a, a, a good conversation to be had about Malik Carr too, because you know Malik Carr didn't practice football in the spring, at least the, the last open practice of the spring, and he was around there as he was playing basketball. But I mean, now that we're past the fact, we I mean he was not in much of practice that we saw this fall during camp. And in, in some ways it surprised me that not only was he out there um, on, on Friday against Western, but he was a target and I thought he looked improved in blocking. Um, he, he was downfield, um, you know, being a target for Peyton Thorne um, and a weapon. He looked, he looks like a guy that's going to be able to potentially stretch the field as well. So I, I think that's also something that he's going to have to keep in, in mind as well is if, if I realize that I've got a football future and this is it, maybe I need to stick with it a little more because the difference I think between Carr and Coleman is that Coleman saw significant time and he has a potentially a basketball role where Carr is a six, five undersized, basically power forward. I mean, you know, and watching him and he's not Charles Barkley. Let's put it that way. Um, he's, he's a very good basketball player, but I don't necessarily know if he has that elite skill set based upon the position that he would be at need um, to, to maybe stick with it long term. Malik Carr to me is a, is a max special in basketball, and uh, yes, yeah, and, and 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 it's just it's he's in a place that doesn't doesn't need what what, what he has, and like his dad Cornell Mann um, is at Grand Valley now. His his uncle is at Western. If you were at either one of those places, you'd be. Um, I think he'd be really effective on the basketball court, uh, but uh, it probably not. Uh, probably not at Michigan State. Let's uh, let's look forward here to the Acker game in a little bit and kind of give you guys some uh, some room here to talk. Graham, what is? I'll give you guys two each. Graham, what is the first thing that you are looking for uh, in this weekend's game versus uh, the Zips? I want to see Michigan if Michigan State looks focused. And you know, plays the details and like doesn't play the opponent, so to speak. Like I, I want to see if they look like they've smoothed out some of the things that didn't look great. Um, they tried to do a lot offensively, you know. And uh, last week, and I'll be curious to see if they sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say they're what Chris said. I don't think they show a lot. It's not important that they show a lot, but I think it's important that what they do, they look like they can overwhelm an opponent. Uh, that's not as good as them, and they look like they are crisp and focused and all the things that they need to be to take that step from week one to week two. In, in some ways, hard to judge what Michigan State, um, the progress in certain ways, because the opponent they're playing is weaker than last week, and the score may or may not reflect anything. I mean, it's, it's, and so I, I want to I see them look focused, fewer mistakes, more uh, crisp offensive stuff, just methodical and, and consistent, and and then all the big strike stuff they have. You know, I, I think that's you know 
to look like they're playing against themselves and not not Akron. Chris? Well, I think that my first thing that I'm watching is the health factor. Um, not just who's in, who's out, but how these rotations are. Um, you know, are some guys on a pitch count, and so to speak, just to first keep them healthy, but also you know, maybe allow them to rest a little bit. And then who some of those younger guys that the coaches feel can be immediate guys. You know, I mean, we saw Zion Young at defensive end in the first game in significant moments. We saw Alex Van Summer in, in there as a true freshman. Uh, we saw a guy like Terrell Henry on special teams uh, as a true freshman like down the first punt. And he was a guy that was talked about uh, throughout camp. Uh, how much more do they use Bernard? Um, you know, because, you know, it's not a bad start to your career when you make a heck of a catch on a, on a really high ball and then show the leverage to come down and the speed to run away. Um, so is that something that they want to show more of? I mean, listen, the guy was committed to Washington. Washington's going to know what that kid is, even though it's a new coaching staff, they're going to know what that kid is. Um, but, uh, you know, which other guys, the younger guys, kind of take that step forward. Like I said, I mean, you know, does a guy like Caleb Coley move into the, the linebacker spot um, or does he even play maybe a little more nickel? I, I, I'm fascinated to see where the rotations are for some of those younger guys and, and on the offensive line too, because, well, I'll, I'll get to the offensive line as my second thing because I think that's the, the other big thing. I want to touch on the health thing for a second. Uh, I do. Mel Tucker called out uh, his team a little bit for some of the cramps that occurred throughout the game and saying they – you know, we're prepared enough. Does that fall on the players? Does that fall on the coaches? Or, you know, we wrote those glowing articles, uh, not we, um, pulled people, including Graham, wrote, you know, glowing articles about uh, being new, being nutrition ready or whatever for that Miami game last year. And uh, now it seems like the, the, it's flipped at least a little bit. I think it was a call out to everybody in the program a, a little bit there. And, and I, you know, I am, um, I, you know, it, look, it gets hot in late August, September in East Lansing, but, a big part of what this team, what allowed this team to be what it was last year and sort of the moment that we realized they could be something was that game at Miami where they were just in great physical condition. They had planned for that situation with their, you know, with the nutrition and the, the, the fluids and, and everything and their, their conditioning, and they were better than Miami in the fourth quarter. And they were on their heels for a minute against Western Michigan. I don't think there's any question about that. So that – that is something to um, to keep an eye on, and 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 I, you know, I don't think Michigan State's a program that's in bad shape or anything like that. But that was an advantage that they seem to have, and and you know, in a program without great margins, they got to make sure they have that advantage. Yep. But also, that comes to rotating guys correctly too. That's not just you know, and, and yes, that's it's not just on the players. Like when they're down in Miami, they use guys, and they, that's on that's on coaching. That's on. You know, you cannot leave a defensive lineman or a cornerback out there too long and in heat in the certain times of year. They've got to have, you know, subs coming in. So that, that's in the, how you rotate guys that, that you know, matters too. Yeah. I, got, I got a rotation coming, but I'll wait and see just in case this is your second thing. Graham, what's, what's one more thing that you're going to be looking for from the Spartans on Saturday? Again, I don't, as Chris talked about, I don't think they're going to give a ton offensively, give away a ton offensively. I, I really want to see if Jack Stone gets another field goal chance and what they do there and if 
to make some field goals because I, I think they need to have confidence in him to before they head to the teeth of their schedule here. And yep. I may, I, it, I, it, this would not be a game to go for it on fourth and one. Give the kicker a shot because you're going to win the game. And I think when they went for it fourth and you know when they, they had a chance to kick a field goal and go up two scores and went for it. You know, I've heard some people say, oh, it was a statement about the season and what no, no, no. I think that was a lack of confidence in the kicking game. I think if I think if they had Matt Matt Coughlin from a year ago, they might have kicked that field goal to go up two scores. Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. And it would have been an interesting decision. But I thought I think he thought his more sure thing was going for it. And um I so I you know, that that needs to be something they, they need to be able to count on him inside of forty yards. And again, it was a forty four yard field goal that he missed, but it was a knuckler. It didn't look good. Right, like they've got to be able to count on him. Don't have you don't have to have a guy that's that's money from forty five yards, but if you can't get three points every time it's a forty yard or less field goal, just about you're gonna you're gonna miss you're gonna lose some games in that season. I do have to. I'm gonna tack on to that because you, you mentioned Matt Coglin. You know, we talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about Tucker adding the Auburn transfer Ben Patton uh, midway through camp. I thought it was interesting during pregame warmups when he was out there. He looked like, if you remember back to the end of the season after Matt Coglin had what appeared to be kind of a groin injury, it seemed like like Ben Patton was in that same deal where he was, you know, doing half kicks off a tee, you know, almost trying to stretch out that area. And then when it came time to start doing more of the full special teams kicks from, from distance, he was in the same spot on the field standing without his helmet on than Matt Coglin was when he was hurt. So I think that kind of bears watching a little bit too. Because remember this kid hadn't, you know, he, he probably didn't, you know, went into the portal, didn't maybe didn't go through spring. I don't know what his conditioning situation was. He was obviously trying to finish up his degree at Auburn to transfer to Michigan state. So that I'm wondering if isn't one of those other injuries that Tucker said that they have, but didn't really say who else it was that was hurt. All right, Chris, give me your uh, second uh, thought, and uh, let's get those. Let's get that offensive lineman discussion in here. It is the offensive line, and I mean they used seven guys in that game. Um, I thought, you know, Brandon Baldwin was kind of the surprise starter, but he was one of those guys that was talked about as being a contributor during camp. You'd see him often during uh, the videos, working at left tackle. Um, I thought Ethan Boyd was another guy that we saw extensively during camp and videos uh, at right tackle, but it was Spencer Brown pretty much the entirety. I thought Spencer Brown had a good game. So we talk about guys being in and out during camp. Some of them are some guys like Mel Tucker. I asked him about, you know, the hitting that goes on and you want more hitting that. And, you know, basically he said, you know, we have to make sure we get the guys to the games and Brown, I thought looked good there. Matt Carrick in the in right guard, Katie Duplain at left guard, Nick Samak at center. I thought they all, played well. And I thought Brian Green played really well um, as kind of a, a utility guy bouncing between the two guard spots. So those are the, and add in Jarrett Horst who came in in the second half. Don't know where he's at in terms of physically or, or anything else, uh, but he did play. Uh, it was his first action since the Michigan game a year ago. Um, so he was, he remember he missed the end of the season, came back from the Penn, you know, the pit game and the bowl game, but didn't play. Um, and was one of the number of offensive linemen who sat out this spring. So I think there was there was some rust that I think needed to be shaken off. But I think this is the game where not only does that group have to show the push and the drive to when I talk about dominating, 
that's where it's got to be domination at the line of scrimmage. You got to be driving a guy two, three, five yards off the ball right off the snap because this team that they're facing is not equipped to face them. Um, and Joe Moore had even talked about how big the offensive linemen are. But then it's who are the guys that are coming in next because you've got, as, as Mark Staten used to say, you got to get them soaked. You know, you got to get the Ethan Boyds in there. You got to get the Kevin Wiggingtons. You got to get the Geno Vandemarks in there. Uh, to get them a little bit of action because they're really one play away from from having to to be there, as you saw with the Darius Snow injury. You're going to have to have those offensive linemen in particular at least on the verge of playing or a little bit of experience moving forward the rest of the year. Uh, all good points, and I agree. Uh, the, the, the rotation thing. And the run game. I think, I think that goes hand-in-hand hand with the run that game, That is just too, what I was going to mention. You see more production in the run game. Yeah. You, then you, you call it then. Okay. What do you what do you want to see from the run game? I'm going to host the podcast for a minute. What do you want to see from the run game? That's right. Well, I'm interested in, we talked about the rotations, you know, five to 10 minutes ago. Uh, what's up with that? Just because, you know, Berger and Broussard got a huge chunk of the carries. And part of this was, I think, because it was a one score game longer than we anticipated. But the only other person to get carries uh, besides Berger and Broussard was uh, Daniel Barker, the tight end. So uh, sorry, Elijah Collins. Sorry, Jordan Simmons. Uh so that certainly raised an eyebrow, but again, this is Akron this weekend, so maybe we're going to see those guys, you know, get a little more action in that regard. Well, the action to me that was interesting in the backfield was Harold Joyner as the third down back over those other guys. Clearly shows that they trust him in pass protection and yeah. and potentially as a as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, that I think bears watching moving forward. Is he still going to be the number three guy, or how is that going to shuffle around? Yeah, I forgot to mention Joiner. So f- f- a fail on my part. I will go back to hosting the podcast from uh, from here on out. No, it's okay though because <laughs> he, he didn't. But he didn't get any carries. Yeah. Um, you know, he was used in a different role. And I think that's you know, it's clear that they have you know those other two guys are considered first and second down backs mostly, and they were using Joiner in the third down role. Um, a little more defined than a year ago when it was Kenneth Walker and then Kenneth Walker and then Kenneth Walker. Repeat. Yeah, that was a nice luxury to, for them to have last year. All right, guys, uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here? I think a week from now, you know, or I guess 10 days from now, we'll, we'll have a, a really good sense of this team. I just don't think we're going to get it this week, which is, I don't, I don't think bad for Michigan State in terms of the, the, the sort of trajectory of the season in certain ways. But um, the one thing we will learn, I think, this week is is can they can they focus when – I think they probably know watching the film and everything that they're vastly superior to this team. And, you know, last year's team, I think, did a good job at times of playing themselves and not the opponent and um, as best they could for a while. And, and um, we'll see if this team has that sort of maturity. Keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, to echo Mel Tucker, which the main thing is that just what Graham said, your own performance. If, if you do the things you're supposed to do, you should win going away. And stay healthy. Those, I think, are the two biggest things because right now I think where this season is with a couple big injuries, um, you know, you can ill afford to have one or two more significant injuries if you want to chase that national championship like this team thinks they can do. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Chris Solari, at Graham underscore couch, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening.
Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.